12 we'll be finishing up next week, but we're talking about learning and living a faith that works. This week we're actually going to be in James 5, uh, 13 through 18. We're going to cover that in just a second, but before we do, obviously we want to talk about our theme for the series, which is James 1, 4b, that you may be perfect and mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If you haven't gotten that memorized yet, you probably haven't been here enough, or you're totally drawing, you know, completely forgetting everything I'm talking about. Either one was, is an interesting situation, but that's our goal. That's what we want. Hopefully, that's what we've understood as we've looked at all these things together. And today, we're going to talk about James 5, basically 13 through 18. It's going to be up there on the screen in just a minute. But what we're going to be talking about today is kind of interesting because I... I well, let's just read it and then we'll jump into it, okay? James 5, starting with verse number 13, it says this. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may, might not rain. And for three and years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit." Now, you have to understand something. We've talked about this before. James here is a pastor. He was pastoring the church in uh, Jerusalem. And basically, at this portion of Scripture, he begins to kind of give us some explanations and some ways that we're supposed to live together as the church. He's basically giving us these ideas of, of what church should look like, how church should function, and how we should function together. And if you understand me at all, you know that I don't necessarily use the word church a lot. Because sometimes when I think of a church, I think of a building or a place... I like to use the word family because I believe that's what we are. I believe that's what God's called us to be. God is our father. We even sometimes call each other brothers and sisters. And so I look at it as a family. One of our core understandings and our cultures is that we cultivate relationships. And I put on there, as family we go. We go together as a family. Now, I was over at a friend's house a couple of weeks ago, and I saw this sign. Now, this was not the sign. This was the sign that they had up. The words were the same. But the, the sign was slightly different. So I looked online and I found a picture of this, um, basically this, this sign that they had. And I basically used this. This is the section title for what we're talking about. It's this. Remember, as far as everyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. I saw that a couple weeks ago at a friend's house and I laughed. Because I knew his family, you know, kind of a thing. And I understood what they were trying to do. But that's going to be the title for our section. As we look at this together, remember, as far as everyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. Now, obviously, we're not. We're not necessarily nice all the time, and we're obviously not necessarily normal all the time. But this is what James is going to be talking about. Okay, how does the family function? What does the family supposed to look like? How is the church supposed to be in this situation? And he begins to give us some ideas here. Remember, James is a pastor. James has a pastor's heart. He's not Paul. He's not Peter. He's a pastor. And so what he wants to do as he's bringing all of his letter completing and he's bringing it all together, he begins to say, okay, listen, as the family, here's some things you need to be doing. As the family, these are things that you need to be looking at, focusing in on, and making sure that this is a part of who you are. So again, as we talk about this as a family, remember, 
We're all a nice, normal family. Everything's fine. We just have some things that we probably need to work on because in some ways, we always do. So the first thing I'm going to look at is the first part of this is first being a part of the family. Being a part of the family. Now, I cut this real quick. So we're going to look here at James 5, 13a and 14 because they say the exact same thing. And it basically says this. Is anyone among you? And I want to stop there because I think we have to understand the first part of this is that we are all a part of the family. How are you a part of the family? You become a part of the family when you begin to be among people that are with you and thinking like you and a part of you. But here's the thing. You can't be a part of a family if you're not there and a part of a family. I know that's deep. But that's a big part of this. We've got to understand that God is calling us to be a part of something together. And if we aren't together, if we're not a part of it together, then the other things that we're going to be talking about later on this morning aren't going to work. They're not going to have relevance in our lives. And so we have to start there. We have to start, is anyone among you? Is anyone together? Where are the people that God has put together and to be a part of this? In 1 Corinthians 12, we see Paul beginning to talk about this. He says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Listen, we need to, we need to dispel a myth right now, okay? You were never created for isolation. You go back to the very beginning. Even when Adam did not have Eve, he was communing with God, and even God looks at that and he goes, Listen, it is not good that man should be alone. Your life was never created to go it alone. If you are doing it alone, you are doing it outside of God's will for your life. Did you just hear what I said? Because a lot of times we go, oh, I want to be in God's will. I want to be in God's will. Okay, okay, God's will is not for you to be in isolation. It's just, it's just me. It's just me and God. No, it's not. It's not supposed to be. Listen. It is okay that we need each other. It is okay that we are a part of a family. It is okay that you understand that. And so we hurt together. We're excited together. We pray together. We're going to begin to see all these things that James is putting out there. But you have to understand, we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Paul, in this portion of scripture, is talking about the body. And it's a beautiful illustration because everybody's got one and everybody can figure this out. Because basically what he's saying is some people are the hand, some people are the foot. But one thing that you have to understand is we're all a part of it together. We all are going through this together. We're all doing this thing together. And you may be one part, somebody else may be a different part. But the thing is, we're all one body. It would be crazy talk to think that you could basically cut your hand off, throw it over here, and the hand would be fine on its own. It doesn't work that way. Not only is the body affected, but the hand rots and goes back to the dirt. Think about that for a second. You ever, you ever seen those stories, you know, it's like you, you jump on the news and somebody has, has cut their finger off. And they take it and they put it on ice or do something like that. And they run to the, the emergency room. What does the doctor do? The doctor doesn't go, well, man, that finger's fine. That finger's doing great. Look at it. 
that finger is actually beginning to grow other things. That, that finger, if you give it long enough, that finger will actually become a body. It doesn't work that way. If the finger is left alone, the finger rots and dies and goes away. Spiritually speaking, God is trying to get us to understand that. When you separate yourself from God's plan and you separate yourself from the body that God has placed you in, I promise you, your life, spiritually speaking, will begin to rot slightly. It will not be what God has intended for it to be. And you say, well, well, I'm doing fine. I'm spiritually fine. Yeah, you may be fine, but I would say God has something more. And God has something better. Because you were never intended to be alone. You were never created to be alone. But we do that sometimes. In Hebrews, we see this. The writer of Hebrews begins to talk about this as well. And let us not neglect our meetings together, as some people do. But encourage encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen, this... How, how do I put this? Because, listen, you, you, if, 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 the more you get to know me, the more you're going to get to understand a couple things. I don't work in guilt. I don't work in shame. I don't do that. Because it's not God's way. Okay? Now, because of that, when you come to me and you say, I wasn't at church because I was here, here, or here, you're, this is the response you're going to get. Man, we missed you. You're not going to get, well, you know you should have been here. You're not going to get, well, what's wrong with you for not being here? You're not going to get that from me. But don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's important that we're here. When you are not here, there is something missing in our body. You've got to understand that. Now, should you go on vacation? Should you have things? Absolutely. But no. There's something missing. I miss you. Let's not neglect being together. Let's make sure that as a body, we are here. We are a part of this family. We are doing things together. We are doing, I hate to even use this term because it become, it, it's, it's unfortunately become kind of a catch phrase. And when sometimes in the church things become catch phrases, we miss the true meaning. But listen, let's do life together. You get what I'm saying? Let's do life together as a body. But we got to start there. We got to start. You got to be a part of it you got to be a part of what the body is doing. As family, we go. Next, meeting the needs of people in the family. Look at James 13, 513. It begins, he's, he's talked about it, and now we're going to hit James 513. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is if anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here, what basically now James is moving into is now that we understand that we're a part of the body, what do we need to be doing? How are we meeting the needs of people in the body? We're not here just to just to sing songs and hear somebody go crazy up here on the stage and then go home and have lunch. We are here to meet the needs of each other. Okay, listen, you need to understand that. Your job here is not to come, sit here, and wait for this to be over and are bored because Aaron sounds weird and because he's, he's this or that. 
It's not to sit here and watch John lead us in worship. It is to be a part of the body and a part of meeting the needs of each other. One of the things that is beautiful about the church and beautiful about this whole situation is this concept that I am one person and you are you and God wants to use every single one of us to meet the needs of each other. Can I ask you a question? Listen, we want you to come here and experience God. We want God to minister to you. That is a huge part. But I want to ask you a simple question. Who are you going to minister to today? And listen, you can be all super spiritual with me, and that's great. You say, well, I'm going to minister to the Lord. Yes, awesome. That's great. And which of his people are you going to minister to today? You realize that that's part of why we're here. You realize that part of this is not just allowing God to choose us and use us and work through us, but actually something flowing out, too. Now, you say, well, how do I do that? Sometimes it's just as simple as, as giving somebody a hug. Sometimes it's just as simple as saying, how are you? Sometimes God will move you in a different direction that's a little bit deeper. But honestly... I really want this for us as we walk into this place. I want the prayer on every single person's lips is, God, I want to be ministered to by you. I want to minister to you, and I want to minister to somebody today. That's what I want. Because if it's just me, it's not enough. Because I can't get around to everybody. And here's the thing. God wants to use you. I'm not perfect. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not either. Great. So what? Let's go on. But, 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 but I don't know what to say. Yeah, I know. God will put the words in your mouth. He said that in scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but. You know, Moses had a lot of buts. And none of them were good enough. You don't have enough buts. You don't. God wants to use you in your imperfection. God wants to use you in your perfection, which is not really there. God wants to use you in your everyday going about, spending time with people, pouring into their lives. God wants to use you. Every single one of us. And I want us to understand that. And so here we begin to see this, the needs of people being met. And so here's some things we want to talk about. And it's very simple. It's coming right out of Scripture. Circumstances the family face. There's circumstances that the family face, and then the family's response. Now, remember, this is the family's response. Look up here. It doesn't say circumstances, and instead of family, say the people face. Or it doesn't say the pastor's response, or the worship leader's response, or somebody you think is super spiritual's response. It says the, the circumstances family faces, so that means all of us. And basically our response, which again means all of us. First, suffering hardships. Suffering hardships, we're to pray. We're to pray. Now, here, now, here's the thing. That seems so simple, but it's so hard. Now, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. When things happen that are not pleasant and are not what I want to have happen and are hardships, probably, unfortunately for me, I don't usually go to praying first. I try to figure it out. I try to do things else. You know, God is asking us at times, just listen, listen, when things are not going well, when things are not happening the way they should be going, pray. Pray. Go to God with it. Go to God. First thing, go to him. First, pray. Next, you're cheerful and happy? Sing praise. Hey, things went well. Things are going good. Praise him. 
Be excited about him. And here's what's beautiful about the family is we get to share this together. When things are going good for you, I want to know so I can rejoice with you. So that I can know when you come to me and say, hey, hey, things at work, things are going great. Or, or hey, my kid did this really cool thing. Man, that's something to celebrate. That's something to be excited about. We as a family get excited about those things. So listen, things are going well. We sing. We get excited. We celebrate. We don't, we don't move on quickly. We celebrate stuff together. It's awesome. Because you know what? We do suffer hardships and they're not fun. But we actually have something really cool happen. We as a family want to celebrate that. Next, you're sick. We call for the elders to pray. Now, now, why is this important? This is important because this is body ministry. This is, this is going to somebody and saying, I'm dealing with something. And we go together as a group and we pray together. Man, that's important. Hey, listen, it's kind of off topic, but, but kind of on topic. Listen to me. Hear me here. If you have a family, which basically means you don't live alone. So if you don't live alone, you have a family at home. Wife, husband, kid. Cousin, I don't care. Someone lives in your house. You're your family. Will you pray with them, please? On a daily basis? Will you sit down and pray together? That is so important. One of the things I've always been told when it comes to marriages and and those things, one of the most important things you can do as a married couple is pray together. One of the most important things you can do with your kids is pray together. One of the coolest things, it's hard to talk about, because we pray with Easton every night, okay? And when we were trying to find a house and sell our house, we, we, we would pray. Oh, we would pray with him. And, and, and he, he, you know, four or five years old, he would, he would pray. And, and he would hear his mother pray, and he would hear me pray. And, he, and he, he doesn't truly understand all about this, but just go with me here, okay? And he started to do something. Why? Because he heard mom and dad do it. My son prays in the name of Jesus. It is the coolest thing. It's like I wish I could bring you all to our house about 8 o'clock when it's time for bed. Because he'll pray, and he'll say, in the name of Jesus, will you help me with this? Now, does he truly understand the power and the authority that he is praying in the name of? No, I don't think so. Listen, I don't even sometimes. But he has learned that there is power in that name. That when we pray in the name of Jesus, that he will do those things. And sometimes he, you know, he'll, he'll, you know, you know, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this or thank you. Yeah, he doesn't quite understand it. But he, he's learning it. Why? Because we're praying together. We're, he is seeing miracles take place. He is seeing God do things in his life and our life. How does he know? Because he knows we're praying about it. Listen, I want to encourage you with everything in my heart. Get together with your family and pray together. Make that a priority in your life. Let that be something that you do. So when you're sick, we pray together. We call the elders of the church and we pray. Next, your sin sin and messed up. We all messed up. We all did that. The family's response is not guilt. It's not shame. It's not condemnation. It's forgiveness. 
Our job as a family is not to make sure that the person who's messed up and sinned has been made aware of it by everyone in the family. That job is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need your help. Okay? Our job is to forgive. Our job is to accept. Our job is to put loving arms around that individual and say, listen, we forgive you. We're moving forward in this. That's the response. Because unfortunately, sometimes that's not the response. And we have to make sure that if we're going to meet the family's needs, we have to understand these things. So, so basically, we, we, we see this. James is giving us this idea, okay, when this happens, then we need to do this. When this happens, we need to do this. When this happens, we need to do this. Basically, what he's basically saying is when we need each other, we need to be there for each other. We celebrate together. We cry together. We do this stuff together. And that's hugely important. Hugely important. Next. Accountability in the family. James 5, 16. Accountability in the family. Now, this is interesting, okay? We're going to unpack this for a little bit. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay. Now, let's talk about this. We're going to talk in a little bit more in depth about confession here in a second. But I want to start by understanding a couple things, okay? Number one, James is not necessarily coming to you and basically saying, hey, there's a person that just walked through the doors. Yes, they're a guest. Uh, you found out that they followed Jesus and they, they just moved from, uh, uh, you know, they just moved from Kansas and they, they've moved into town. God, God is not saying, James is not saying here, make sure you go up to them before they leave and confess the fact that you lied at work on Tuesday. Okay. We need to be wise on how we do this and how we handle this. We need to be understanding, though, that we are not to be in isolation and we are not to hide. We are to confess our sins one to another. Why? James says it here. So that we may be healed. Listen, hear me here. I'm just asking this straight up. Is there someone you confess your sins to? Is there someone that you trust that you can share your struggles with? Because really what we're going to be talking about here is, is there's this idea of vertical confession and horizontal confession, okay? With vertical confession, we need to understand it's a little bit different. With vertical confession, what we're doing here is we are confessing our sins to God for forgiveness, okay? We all know about this confession, okay? Now, now, here, now here's, here, here, stay with me for just a second, okay? Confession, sometimes in a church that is not Catholic, is a dirty word, okay? But let's get past that, okay? What is confession? It's admitting guilt. It's admitting that I've sinned and I've messed up. Got it? Okay? Let's go with that. So, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. That is this vertical confession. God, I've messed up. God, I didn't do what you asked. God, I did not obey what you've asked me to do, and I am asking for your forgiveness. I'm admitting that I did this thing, and then God forgives us. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is vertical confession. What James is talking about here is horizontal confession. And horizontal confession is we confess our sins to others for healing. We confess our sins to others for healing. And that healing can have many different forms. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. It can be physical. 
But we have to understand here what the Bible is portraying and what the Bible is telling us. But to do this, we have to be vulnerable. To do this, we have to be willing to go to people that we trust and share intimate details. Now, I don't mean like details as in like, well, then I went down the road and then I, I thought about it. And then I, but, but we have to be willing to share, hey, I messed up. We don't like that. We don't like that. Let's just be honest. That's, that's not fun. That's not like, a, oh boy, I get to go tell everybody how horrible I am. No. It's going to people that you trust, that you have a relationship with, that you love, and they love you. And you're sharing those struggles with each other. Why? So you can have healing. Why? So you can pray together. These are vital things in our spiritual life and our spiritual maturing. Remember, you weren't created to do this alone. You weren't created to do this in isolation. And it breaks my heart when I say, when I see people in this church and in other churches that have decided that they're an island. Can I, can I just be real clear on this? I think that there's times in our lives where we deal with things that are almost, a, and I think we all kind of have these things, okay? But it's those one areas that we seem to struggle with a lot, okay? They're those things that we really, really struggle with. And, and it's kind of continual, and it's, it's almost, well, it's not almost, we're in this bondage to this thing. Listen, I truly believe if you want freedom from that bondage, you need to go to somebody and express and get that healing that God wants you to have. Because you are suffering in silence, you are trying to do this on your own, and God is not going to ask you to do that. God wants this to be something that you are doing together with somebody else. And the other thing you got to understand, this is not if I'm having this situation and I got this buddy over here and we're having that relationship and I confess my sin to him. It's not, it's not I confess, he listens and that's great. Then he also confesses his sin to me. And there's an intimacy there. And there's a closeness that's there. When you think about the church today, intimacy and closeness within the body is not usually words that I would use to describe it. Why? I think there's lots of reasons, but one of them is there's no confession. There's no openness. Even between friends, even between people that that like each other and spend time together, there's just like this, listen, you can come and be a part of this, but this is off limits. And again, I'm, I'm saying be wise, be smart, let God speak to you about those individuals. But if you want true healing, if you want the healing that God has for you, there's going to have to be some openness. There's going to have to be some confession. There's going to have to be this understanding that quite honestly, I'm not as perfect as maybe I want everybody to believe. And in that, God pours in that oil and that healing and God begins to do some amazing things in the midst of that relationship with each other and with him. And it is one of the most amazing 
things outside of marriage that I think we can experience as a human being with other human beings. And I don't want you to miss that. I want you to experience that. And so it's a simple question. Who's that person? Who, who has God placed in your life that you can share those secrets with? There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Achan. And Achan was basically a, a Jewish guy. And, and to make a long story short, God said to go into a place and destroy everything. And, and Achan went and he, he, he gathered some of the stuff, the spoils. And the Bible says that he took it and he went into his tent and he dug a hole and he buried it. The next time Israel went to fight a battle, they, they went to fight a really small uh, little country or, or town or whatever, and they got beat. And they're like, seriously? We just, I mean, you know, they're, they're taking out Jericho. I mean, they're doing good. And all of a sudden, this little itty-bitty town. And, and, and Joshua goes and goes, God, what, what, what's going on? And, and God's response is very interesting. He says there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And they have to find, and they find out it's Achan, and they, they, they remove that issue. And then they go, and they fight again, and they, they're victorious. And, and that's an interesting story, but, but can I apply it to maybe a little more personal in our lives? Sometimes we're Achan. We go against what God's asked us to do. And, and, and what we tend to do when we live in isolation is we take those things, and we bury it. And we think nobody knows, and nobody's aware. God's aware first and foremost, but you need to understand something. Sin and disobedience always has consequences. And a lot of times, they don't just affect you. One man's sin caused an entire nation to be defeated. And here's, here's I, I've studied this, and, and there's some disagreement between theologians, but hear me out on this, Okay. Some theologians think that, that, that Achan, when he sinned like that, God, you know, they were going to take him out and it was going to be over. There's been other theologians that have believed that if Achan had not buried it and hid it, that he would have been forgiven. I don't know what would have happened. All I know is there is something negative about taking things that don't belong to you, disobeying God, and then burying it in the ground. Don't bury it. Don't bury it. Let God bring forth forgiveness in your life. And, and you can do that with someone you trust. And it's a beautiful thing. The final thing we're going to be talking about as, as James closes this section is quite simply this. An example of the power of a praying family. The example of the power of a praying, oh, excuse me, a praying family member. Example of a, the power of a praying family member. Look at James 17 and 18 says, Elisha was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I love how James basically starts this out by basically telling you that Elisha is just like us. I began to study, and, and I, I, I didn't want to weigh us down with even more notes, but I began to study some of the things that Elisha was dealing with in his life. You know that Elisha was suicidal? You know that Elisha 
basically was depressed, that Elisha actually ran into the wilderness and was isolated. This is the guy who basically prays down fire. This is the guy who basically says, hey, I don't want it to rain, and, and I prayed that it didn't rain, it didn't rain. This is a guy that is an amazing stuff for Christ, for God. And yet he was so not perfect. <laughs> he had so many issues, but yet God used him. So let's start here, okay? It's not about your perfection, okay? It's not about how perfect you are in what you say and what you do. There is not this like, you know, it's like we have this idea that God somewhere is up in heaven and he's got this, all this stuff out and he's watching us. And it's like, okay, as long as you're, you're this good and as long as you obey me this many times and as long as you go to church this many times and do this and this and this and this, then I can use you. And as soon as you mess up enough and as soon as you aren't good enough in these areas, then all of a sudden God looks at us and basically goes, well, I'm sorry, you, 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 you've gone over the line. I can't use you. James is talking about that. He basically says, listen, this is a guy with a nature just like ours. What's our nature? Our nature is to mess up. Our nature is to disobey. Our nature is not to do the right thing. Listen, we're, I don't know where she went. Emily is here. Sweet, adorable, little Emily. And, and, and you know what? And she's so cute. And I mean, I've, I've seen her get passed around. And all the, you know, all the moms are just, oh, this is so great. It's awesome. I love it. But you know what her nature is? Listen, her mom and dad aren't going to have to teach her to do wrong things. She comes by that naturally. We all do. Her mom and dad are going to have to teach her how to obey and how to love Jesus and how to be who God's called her to be. That doesn't happen magically. What happens naturally is she'll look at him one day and Gordon will say, Emily, please pick up your crayons. And she'll go, no. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't parenting be amazing if God basically did something different and basically pick up your crayons? Yes, Father dearest. Listen, if you think that, you have not had children. And that doesn't mean they're not wonderful, awesome children. It just means like all of us, we're fallen. We have a fallen nature. Our nature is not to be able to pray and let the rain stop. Our nature is basically to be the reason that it stopped raining in the first place. But even with that, he prays and things happen. Do you understand? Even in your imperfection, the prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. Mm. Listen. Man, I wish we could get this. I mean, not, 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 like, not like, like, okay, I get it here, but like get it here to where when we, listen. Jesus said, he was very clear, when he was doing miracles and doing all these things, Jesus said, you are going to do greater things than these. That, that's amazing because dead people came alive again. Blind people could see. People with shriveled hands that, that were deformed basically in front of everybody went. 
That's amazing. And God is looking at us and basically saying, you're going to do greater things than that. And he doesn't say, you are going to do greater things than that if you have lived this perfect life. No. He's basically said, listen, a man like Elijah with a nature just like you, that's failed, that messed up, that doubted God, that doubted himself, that went through sin and messed up and did all those things, that guy, yeah, that guy prayed and it didn't rain. Man, I love the scriptures. And one of the things I love about it is some of the most amazing people that we study and even want to emulate are the guys that if we were there and the girls that if we were there would have, would have looked and gone, God, there's no way. There is no way. Gideon, the dude is hiding. You're, you're gonna, you call him mighty warrior? David, the dude's a shepherd. He sleeps with sheep. What is wrong with you? He's the youngest. He doesn't, but Moses, Moses, that was a murderer. What is wrong? Paul? Are you kidding me? The guy that's been taking everybody out and killing them? That's the guy, the guy that's holding the coats of the people throwing rocks at Stephen? This is the guy you're calling? Peter? Seriously, Peter? The man who has no filter whatsoever? I can relate. These are the guys you're choosing? Yeah. Those are the guys that God chooses. Really? In, in the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab, the prostitute? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Because what that means is you and your imperfection, God can use. You, you and your not doing everything perfectly, God looks at that and goes, that doesn't disqualify you. I can use that. I can do that. I can, I can do something with this. You know who I found in Scripture who was not able to be used? The religious leaders who thought they were perfect. That's who God wanted to use and they refused. Listen, hear me out on this. God loves to use broken people to do awesome things. There's something about understanding that we're not perfect. We understand our need for Christ. We understand that we don't have the ability in amongst ourselves that we need Him. And everything changes in that moment. Listen, God wants to use you and He wants to use you to do mighty things in this family. In this body, and in this place, and in people's lives that God has, has put you in. Listen, your family and you, like, like your real blood family, they're, they're not on accident. God put you there for a reason. The work that you're, you do, or the school that you're at, God placed you there on purpose to make a difference. You go, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, I know. Get over it. None of us are. But God wants to use you anyway, even in your imperfection. Because in that moment, what you understand is that you need him. And when you understand that you need him, things begin to change. Because it's not your strength, it's his. The worship team wants to come up. We're going to close.
Now, I know you may not feel real, real comfortable with this, mainly because I'm asking you to do it, okay? Because I know you do it normally throughout the service, but I'm going to ask you to do it right now, even though it's a little uncomfortable because everybody's going to be doing this, okay? Does that make sense? I want you to look around, please. Look around. It's okay. Yeah. Everybody's, yeah. Everybody's doing it. You know, does that help? Okay. A little peer pressure, you know. Yeah. Look around. You hope know, you, know, you look at your spouse, or look at your kids, or, 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 but just look at each other. This is your family. We, we are supposed to do this together. I don't, I don't want to do it apart. I don't think that's what Scripture shows us. And as James is bringing it all together, he's, he's kind of putting a bow on all this stuff. It's like he's, he's kind of closing it, and he's, he's trying to kind of put the last thing, the last couple of ideas before he basically says, you know, your friend, James. And what's he talk about? He talks about loving each other, caring for each other, being there for each other. You know, I have some friends that they have this line, and I'm, I know you've heard it because it's very popular. They'll say, man, I really love Jesus, but I, I hate his church. And unfortunately, more than likely, they come by that honestly. Things have happened, hurts. We're, we're not perfect. We're going to mess up and do things that, that hurt each other at times. a sad, sad way to live our lives. We get to do this together. We get to experience life together. When, when, when things aren't going well, we need to know so we can pray. When things are going well, we need to know so we can rejoice. But this is not about coming here, sitting down for an hour and a half, walking out, and not having relationships with each other. It's just not what God intended. One of the great things about being a Christian is being able to be together and experience life together. And as James is closing his book, He's wanting us all to make sure that we remember that. That we're there for each other. That we care for each other. I mean, in a weird way, if, if somebody in this room was, was in a... They had to go to the hospital for some reason. How cool... Listen, check this out. How cool would it be if we drove the nurses absolutely insane because we all wanted to come and say hi. Where the nurses is like, oh, uh, listen, listen, uh, only, only, only two per room. Okay, why is there 12? Okay, uh, uh, no, you can't have that many. You got, okay, 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 we'll rotate through. Okay, what an awesome testimony that would be. You know, it's like, well, 
Why are we going to Alan and Linda's house? What? Why? Why? Because we're family. And that's what families do. They spend time together. They eat together. And they don't always do it in these four walls. I mean, this is great. No, that's fun. But there's more than that. Listen, I don't know if you're feeling alone, but you don't have to. I don't know if you feel neglected. And I don't want you to feel that way. We're here. You know, I'll talk to people and they'll be so sweet and so kind. And they'll say, Aaron, thank you for your time. And I'm like, oh, isn't that sweet? Why are you thinking for something that's that's yours? This is this is this is this is this is what we get to do. Be together. Live life together. Talk together. Deal with stuff together. Listen, if that's not appealing to you, can I just be honest? You're gonna hate heaven. One of the things I look forward to the most besides seeing Jesus is being with the people I love as well for all eternity. I got I got big plans. Okay? I got big plans. Can I, can I tell you one? There's people that, that have gone to be with Jesus, and there's those that some of you guys are in this room right now, and and there's people that, that are in Ireland right now that are there and they're going to be there. And I'm going to, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm telling you, we're doing this. We're going to go up on the new earth that's perfect and amazing. And we're going to have this big table. We're going to be up in the mountains. I like mountains. You may be a beach person, I'll pray for you, but I like mountains. I love mountains. And this is going to be this huge table. And there's going to be food, and there's going to be drink, and there's going to be laughter, and it's going to go on and on. And y'all going to be there? I can't wait. If Jesus isn't doing anything, he can come. Oh, yeah, he can come. It's just going to be amazing. And, and I'm going to get to introduce you to people. And be like, oh, this is, this is, this is Grandpa. That's what we were created for. And here's the thing. We don't have to wait until then. Yeah, the idea of a mountain and a big table and a bunch of food, I can't afford that right now. But we can do it on a small scale. We don't have to wait till we're dead. We don't have to wait till God comes and gets us. We get to do this right now. Please, let's do it now. Let's start today. Let's start experiencing all the God that God has for us, the fullness of having relationship with Him and relationship with each other. I'm telling you, we're going to do it. And it's going to be glorious. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we were never created to do this alone. We were never created to be isolationists. We were never created to live our lives, to come into this place keep people at arm's length then go on our merry little way it was never intended you looked at Adam you looked at Eve and you said it's not good for man to be alone you brought people in you brought community in and God that's become a buzzword don't let it be let it be something that changes us let it be something that does something deep inside of us 
Let's have the type of relationship that we could admit our faults and admit that we're not perfect and yet we're loved and accepted. That we confess our sins one to another and we have true and full healing. When we commit them to you and we, we confess to you we have forgiveness, when we confess them to each other, there's healing. When we go to that person and say, I messed up, I didn't do this right, I said the wrong thing, and there's forgiveness and there's healing, it's a beautiful thing. Because God, that's what you do. And so God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for a new sense of family. That we would not try to do this on our own. That we would accept the fact that, yeah, the pastor's not perfect, and, and this person's not perfect, the board's not perfect, and that we would be okay with that. Because we understand in our own hearts our own frailty. And that there would be a welcomeness and an acceptance and a love that quite honestly the world doesn't even know what to do with. And when they walk into this place and they experience that, they say, I have got to know the Jesus that you are talking about, that I see modeled in your life. God, we can put up signs. We can have a great new fancy schmancy website. We can do all that stuff, and that's great, fine, and dandy. But people will know we're followers of you because of the love we show one another, period, end of story, that's our job. And Father, let's be honest, sometimes we don't do it very well. So God, I pray for a new commitment right now in my heart and the hearts of all of us. That even though physically we can't have that big table on a mountaintop yet, but we can get prepared for it. And we can experience it on small levels with small groups of people. And we can start to meet the needs of our family and be there as a family, and care for each other as a family, and pray together as a family, and see miracles happen as a family, and celebrate as a family, and cry as a family. But we do it all together as a family. As family, we go. Let that become more than just the words on a wall. Let it become how we as a church do life. We love you. We thank you. You're so good.